You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This land is your land, and this land is my land, from the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Hello and welcome to another episode of the City of Man podcast. My name is Coyle Neal and I am an associate professor of political science, Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri. Joining us on today's episode is John Parker. John teaches English in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and serves as a ruling elder at Redeemer Community Church, also in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, John, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Glad to be on. Thanks. Yeah, no, we're we're not uh, we're not having you on to talk about uh, being an elder uh, at a Presbyterian church or teaching high school English or living in Pittsburgh. Uh, although, again, any of those things I think would probably be fair fair game. Uh, we're have you on because you ran for public office uh, last year. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Last year in the twenty twenty one cycle. Uh, can you tell us what office you were running for? Sure, I, I ran for school board. Uh, I ran for school board in the district where I live, which is in the northern suburbs of Pittsburgh. I uh, teach in the city proper, so I can't uh, teach and be on the school board. There'd be a huge conflict of interest there in the same district, but I ran for school board in North Allegheny. Okay, and uh, why uh, Why did you, and, and uh, I guess not to spoil it for our listeners, but can you tell us the results of the election? Sure. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess. I lost uh, the seat. Technically, there are four seats up. So I uh, had a good showing, but uh, came up 47 votes short of uh, being seated on the board in an election with 8,000 votes. So it was uh, incredibly tight, but it was a, a good experience, uh, even not running. And I'll you know, continue to be engaged in the work of my school and then the school district I live in as well. Now, with that kind of a close call, did you demand a recount, uh, storm <laughs> yeah, the county did. courthouse, that sort of thing? We did not. We didn't do any of that. <laughs> I, uh, I I kind of want to joke more about that, but I, I, it's probably too soon. So uh, um, why, uh, why did you decide to run for public office? Well, I think the primary reason is because the office itself is, is one that I care about. Um, I... Feel like I'm back talking to voters to some extent, but I mean I've uh, been a teacher for almost 20 years, and so I've had school boards making decisions adjacent to me all the time that impact my classroom, and then the school board where I live, uh, the decisions that they make impacting teachers and kids, and I, so I care a lot about public schools and public education. Um, we have three kids in the school district, so that's obviously a, a component of it. It's sort of funny, but you know the cycle started in. Uh, February of 2021, and I hadn't met anyone new in a long time at that point. And so it was uh, just interesting to meet a lot of new people. That was something that was attractive to me. I always enjoy hearing other people's perspectives and, you know, sharing what I think uh, matters about, you know, the public school system that I live in. And I honestly saw ultimately with our school board a a need for new leadership, and uh, I thought I could contribute by you know, doing what I thought was best for students and schools. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but the, rather than a, a national political narrative on either side of the aisle, that I thought I would make you know, good decisions for our school district and for my kids and other people's kids as well. So sort of a uh, 
civic interest combined with being an extrovert during a pandemic came together at just the right time. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. And I love politics. I'm interested in politics. But uh, to be honest, the local political work itself of a school board is interesting. The other local political work is not interesting to me at all. Uh, potholes and stormwater and all those things I, I don't find interesting, but definitely the curriculum and uh, budgeting decisions uh, I've, I've followed uh, for a long time and, and found those sort of uh, areas of interest to, you know, be something that I'd pursue as, as a school board member. Now, at this point, uh, we, we run the risk of running into a hyper-local question here, but how much control does uh, does the school board that you, you would have been on or the school board that you work for actually have over any of those things? Because that, that's going to vary radically by state. For sure. So I'm in Pennsylvania and outside of Philadelphia, every school board in Pennsylvania is elected. Uh, Philadelphia is appointed. But um, budgeting is the biggest decision that the board makes. Now, school boards are functionally like a, a mayor, an executive of nine people, um, where the superintendent and the executive cabinet suggest and request things and the school board provides oversight and transparency. So yeah, in terms of curriculum and budgeting and resource allocation, there's a, a pretty big impact both in conversations with leadership in the district and then ultimately in making the decisions that approve or shape those um, you know, large decisions for a large school district. So you're, uh, you know, as a teacher, my role would be very different than you know, meddling in the classroom affairs day to day, but um, you do make really significant decisions. I'd argue you make decisions that impact people's lives in a much more significant and real way than the, the more national publicized huge money races, um, there are a lot of important decisions that the school board makes, you know? Yeah, I was, I was talking, it's been a f few years now, but uh, uh, one of our neighbors was running for school board, uh, partially out of budget concerns in the, the pre-COVID time, that was one of the big ones. Uh, and uh, it was interesting because uh, she, the way she described it, and, and again, this is so state-specific that I don't even know if this applies outside of Missouri, but they do their budgets three years in advance. Uh, the term she was running for was a one-year term. So, again, there's there's really only so much you're, you're going to be able to do. And, and of course, think, even things like curricula, uh, yeah, the, the school board has some say over it, but, I mean, we're seeing right now statewide debates over something like CRT, right? If, if the state passes a law, all of a sudden that's no longer in the school board's hands, and plus whatever laws have been passed on that in the past. Uh, and, again, that's, that's state by state, so I, I, I don't know how far down that rabbit trail we want to go. No, it sounds pretty similar, and I think you're right. There would be sort of over, overriding decisions at times. Um, but, yeah, all of those national and state-level narratives, and, you know, we, we could talk about them to some extent. They're similar nationwide. But, um, you know, ultimately, the the people in the classroom are making almost all of the decisions with, the you know, the resources that, the school board provides them. And then you do have these situations where, you know, a, a state could, you know, impact your curriculum in a significant way. Um, and, you know, <laughs> again, like that, that was a big part of the narrative around our race and people care about that because I think they ingest a lot of news, um, cable news probably. And, and so while those things were in the minds of voters, there's just a lot of local, ramifications of some of that too sure so 
given given the things that you were interested in, you've already answered part of this. Uh, why did you decide you wanted to uh, run for a local office rather than uh, state rep or Congress, if if your seat's open, or or again any of the number, any of the other offices that are available? Yeah, on a on a very personal level, that work doesn't interest me that much. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I don't feel like uh, I would bring a particular level of expertise to any of that. In, that is clearly not a qualification. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right. Yeah, I just have to uh, look in the mirror at night and say, would I be good at this job? And and I think I would be good at that one. But you know, I have been just doing a lot of reading and thinking. Uh, around local versus national politics in general. And obviously, you know, with how connected everyone is nationally through, you know, different forms of media and the platforms that, you know, we all kind of roll around on, it's, it's, it's easy to think that those are the significant races. And I am a person who enjoys politics. I also recognize that it's not a requirement of a believer or an unbeliever to be politically engaged. Um, chances are listeners here are. Uh, that's why they're listening to the podcast. But I guess my argument is largely that it's more helpful, uh, more healthy, and more effective uh, from my end to be involved at a local level. Um, I think about it in, on a audio media, this might not come across as well, but as, as a Venn diagram between like what I care about and what I can control and where those intersect. And I think one of the challenges that we see is that we have these huge, huge national state level stories and narratives that make people care a ton about something that they can't actually impact. And that results in a, a lot of frustration. Um, from my end, being able to say like in, in this cycle, I can really deeply engage with my neighbors and with the issues that are at play for our schools. I can try to do something about that rather than, you know, screaming into the abyss or, you know, rage tweeting all day or doom scrolling or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, to me, the the pinnacle of my political career will be a school board seat <laughs> because it's just the area in which I think I could have the most impact. No, then that, that's fair. And I, I suppose uh, my, my option of those things that we care about but can't do anything about uh, is to just not care about it and then, you know, takes all that pressure away. <laughs> right. Now, we had a uh, our pastor went through a series on, you know, spheres of authority um, a few months ago. And I just think that was a really healthy way for my family to think about our engagement with things is that, like, our first priority, our first authority is God and the Word of God. And then our family um, as a father, that's my second priority and sphere of authority and influence. And then then my community, I think sometimes we get some of that upside down and, um, you know, our, our so much time and energy, I find myself investing in, you know, spheres of influence and authority that are secondary or tertiary um, when I should be more concerned with those more local things. And I did, um, I taught a Sunday school uh, series at my church a, a little while ago about media and engaging with media and um, heard some interesting conversations about like should Christians care about the news, which which is just kind of a wild question if you've never thought about that. And like, should I care about the withdrawal in Afghanistan or what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and um, the the civil war in Ethiopia? Our family cares a lot about. We have a missionary family that we support and pray for every night, so we care a lot about what's happening in Ethiopia, which seems all the way across the world, but there are people that we love there that are 
um, trying to, to do good work there. And so each night we pray for Ethiopia, which is which couldn't be much further from our house. But um, I can't do anything about a lot of the other things that I, I think are tempting to care about or signal about or whatever that is. So I think just trying to think about those things in, in terms of spheres of influence and authority and, you know, what we're called to actually do is helpful to me. And I am not perfect at it, but it, it's helpful to me in, in terms of thinking through it. Well, uh, uh, moving moving then into the uh, the race itself, right? Uh, uh, candidates are, are in this kind of weird in-between position in, in the United States. Uh, the, the second you file that paperwork, uh, you move from being just a citizen uh, to falling under a, uh, a set of strict and, depending on, again, your state, uh, fairly Byzantine rules, uh, but rules that, again, depending on your state and depending on your race, really aren't enforced in any meaningful way uh, for at least half the people who are running. Uh, if, if, if you run and lose, I don't know that I could think off the top of my head anyway of anyone who's been fined or spent any jail time for violating campaign finance laws or any campaign regulations when they didn't win the office. That may, may exist, but certainly no prominent examples of it. Uh, if you win, and if it's a prominent position, of course, then it's a totally different question and people go over everything closely. Uh, how, how are we supposed to think about this? How, how did you think about that as a candidate? Uh, how do we think about this as Christians? Boy, it, you're 100% right about that, and somebody could dig around and do research, but I think they'd come up dry trying try to find anybody who'd been, you know, under scrutiny post-losing an election for any of those things. I, I mean, I think we have to think biblically about that, just like we think about everything else. Um, whether or not everyone else is following the laws, we're commanded to obey our magistrates and for the purpose of our testimony primarily uh, to pursue peace and to, to follow the laws of our land and to do that so that we can be a good testimony for Christ. Um, and that's really hard sometimes when it's uh, it feels like there are sets of rules that uh, different, if you're a Christian, that you should follow. And I think there are obviously through common grace and others, people who are morally following those rules because it's right uh, in our race. You know, our candidates, we make commitments to one another to to you know, be able to be honest so that we could be good examples for our kids. So, you know, separately, even from, you know, being a, a Christian, it's uh, about the reputation that you have in a community and about, um, you know, being honest and setting a good example for my kids. Um, but it can be even outside of the legal requirements, it can be very tempting to bend the truth or to let, um, you know, to, to paint a picture of an opponent that's not entirely true to uh, win an election. And I think at times you can even convince yourself that the ends there might justify the means that, you know, I'm going to do good things. So if uh, there's a misconception here um, about another candidate and I let that go and I'm not completely honest, um, you know, that can be a temptation, but ultimately, um, you know, that it is about more than just, you know, lying. It's about, being honest and fulfilling that commandment. Um, and there's another great part of local politics, which is that sometimes the, the mudslinging that seems to work really well if you're just watching the news or watching TV, it doesn't work so well locally. Uh, so just on a pragmatic level, you know, we play sports with uh, our opponent's kids or somebody knows somebody from somewhere. They're your actual neighbor. And so I, I think there's a little bit of a 
self-correcting mechanism there in a, in a local race that it's just uh, about being able to share your perspective and, you know, your expertise and what you offer and not so much uh, demonizing the other side, which, uh, you know, you you can watch five minutes of, of a football game on a Sunday afternoon and see demonizing political ads for years on end. And they just don't play that well <laughs> locally as well. So some of those incentives are a little bit uh, maybe less tempting. Um, There's not the platform either, right? Uh, right. I, I, if, I mean, I suppose in Pittsburgh, you, you probably at least have like local TV. Uh, where I'm at, even trying to find out who the candidates are before election day, can be a challenge, uh, depending on which office. And, and you know, if you're not at the right old people's table for breakfast at the diner, you're you're just never going to know. You're at, you're a hundred percent right. It's all about walking around and talking to individuals. The the budget for the races wouldn't put us on the TV anyway. And I, I actually think people would be turned off by a school board ad on TV. Be like, well, I guess you're going to waste all our money too. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. you're wasting wasting your own. So. You're right. Um, when it's more personal, uh, it just when you're more connected directly with people um, and you're having real conversations with real people, uh, you're not slinging mud around for, uh, you know, for the people who agree with you to cheer for you and the other ones to hate you more. You know, it was uh, interesting uh, when uh, when my wife was running her campaign for alderman, uh, the uh, the rule in Missouri is if as long as you spend uh, under five hundred dollars. You don't have to report anything, and you don't have to like have an official committee with a contact person and so on. Uh, so there's there's a lot of incentive to be under five hundred dollars on your campaign, both because we can't afford it and don't want to spend money on it, uh, but also because all of those rules then go into play once once you hit that benchmark. Uh, so it's really an honor system, right? It's it's really sort of the Oh no 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 we didn't and and they try to give you the guidelines for you know look if you're if you're if you're using signs from a previous election those still count you have to count the full cost of those again uh, and and expenses and so on but uh, but again the, at the end of the day it really is kind of you will report or not report and if you don't report and lose no one will ever know yeah I think you're right about that um, you know we. We ran with four people, so the $500 threshold and needing to order signs and everything, we were going to surpass. That's 250 in uh, in Pennsylvania, and I think uh, by the time we, you know, bought one set of yard signs, we were way north of that. But it, it is still. Uh, I honestly think the incentive is if you don't report, it makes you look worse. Even then, it still can be a selfish motivation. I'm hopeful that like we we did those things the right way because we should. I mean, but who, look, who's who's ever gonna know? Like, if you, I suppose the uh, the state auditor, or secretary of state, or whoever runs it in Pennsylvania, but even then, they're not gonna know. Like, it, it it's really yep. is before you and God. In our county race, there were forty three judges on the ballot in the primary, and so the attention wasn't on us. That's for sure. <laughs> Good lord, forty three. There was big turnover there, and and again, like you said before, it's just telling people who the candidates are in, in that kind of environment is the, that's kind of the, there is an election. You know, that's the first thing you say when you talk to a voter. Did you know there was an election? So to, to suggest that you could, you know, be dishonest. Yeah. There's certainly a, an opening for that. And, um, you know, I, I always also view it as, as a Christian, as a father, as a, as a husband, as a person who's trying to be honest, but you're right. There is uh, <laughs> there are a lot of checks and balances. 
Well, and it, it may not even be dishonesty, I suppose. It might just be apathy or laziness. Like, look, I lost. Who cares? Like, yeah, I, I would have done the paperwork if I'd won, but I didn't. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Take the office away from me? You know, <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, you uh, you initially reached out asking uh, about an episode on this, uh, wanting to talk about polarization and its uh, relationship to local office and being a candidate for local office and so on. So uh, what does being a candidate for local school school board have to do with uh, Republicans and Democrats hating each other in Congress? Well, I should probably tell everybody I'm a, I'm a Democrat, uh, elder at a Reformed Presbyterian church and everything, so I'm sort of a unicorn to begin with, I guess, but... Um, the, I, I think one of the challenges is that, you know, you, you say you're a Democrat or you're a Republican and there's an assumption already that you support all of this or you support all of that, or you despise all of this or all of that. And I think the reason for that, I mean, there are probably a thousand of them and people have written books about it, but I, I think the incentive structures, we talked a little bit about them before running against your neighbors and people who, you know, you, you may know and and care about just have a difference of opinion about what direction the school should go or something. The, those incentive structures nationally are just begging for people to double down on polarization. So any election like that, it's just uh, you have to play into those um, worst fears and uh, emotions of other people to raise a bunch of money or whatever you have to do in order to win a primary um, in a local election. There's it's more about getting out and talking to people, which I think is one way to deconstruct some of the polarization. Um, we went out and knocked on a lot of doors and you can walk up to somebody's house. You walk up their sidewalk and you see one signal in their yard and you kind of feel like you already know who they are, you know, whether it's a sign or a, a flag or a set of flowers or whatever it is. And you start to make assumptions about people. And when you start talking to them, I think you realize that some of those are misconceptions and it's very easy to nationally paint everyone in one light or the other. But I think when you start talking to people locally, um, you end up learning that people are much more complicated than uh, the national dialogue would have you to believe, which is a catch 22. You, you have some conversations with people that, you know, I had a, a few, uh, one where I, I knocked on someone's door and they said, I don't want you renaming our schools. Are you going to rename our schools, which was clearly like an outgrowth of uh, some school district somewhere renaming a school. And our schools, 11 of our 13 schools are named after the street they're on or the, um, you know, the municipality that they're in. And the, no, we're not going to do that. And, and so I'm sure, you know, hi, I'm I'm John. I'm a Democrat. I'm running for school board and there's an election. And all of a sudden, you know, that person says, you know, ask me a question and, and it's clearly just influenced by that national narrative. But we have a conversation about that and what's important to that person and what's important to me. And, you know, is this something that, you know, these things that I care about and you care about, we share those values. And um, it just, I think, helps to at, a, at regular intervals deconstruct that larger narrative. For me, it did for sure. Um, and and. CRT was one of those things, the number of, of houses where somebody said, you know, what what do you think about that theory? Like, what theory? The the theory. And so I, I after a few houses, you know what they're they're talking about, but having no understanding of, of the some complexities of, of that issue itself, uh, but still a very strong opinion about it. And so I have a conversation with somebody and I'm hopeful that they heard my perspective and I heard theirs. And you know, I think 
I don't think there is a national solution to polarization, but I do think on a local level, if you get out and talk to people who have unique perspectives and experiences, you, you end up learning a lot and maybe hopefully they end up learning as well and seeing you as a human being rather than, you know, a data point or a, someone to be demonized or elevated to a position that they don't deserve either. So it's, it's just, I think that's part of it. Um, when you guys talked about, you know, how to manage some really complex situations that it's, it's a lot of, it's about who who's around your Thanksgiving table and who's in your home and, and who's in your neighborhood and who's cutting the grass while you're talking to them. And it's really easy to distance yourself from that um, when you're in a more nationalized environment. Um, so I, it's not a solution. I don't have the, the solution entirely, <laughs> but for me, it was a it was a real opportunity for growth and thoughtfulness, and found it to be healthy. If at times it was a little complicated. Do you? Uh, that's 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 very optimistic. I think, um, and uh, I mean, I I agree with you. All of that's healthy, although I guess I'm more pessimistic about whether or not that is still possible. And I'm I'm more pessimistic now than I would have been even a year and a half ago. Uh, so even under the Trump presidency, I would have been a little more optimistic, not because I'm a, I'm a huge Trump supporter or anything, uh, but because I think the uh, the COVID vaccine masking, all of that debate has, has sunk down to that level. Uh, and I mean that in both senses of the, the term, right? Uh, uh, we are we are no longer having a national masking or or uh, or vaccine debate. We're we're now having that in the school boards, and uh, can can that divide? that used to just be national, can that be overcome locally by those same tools or are we going to have to use something else? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I, uh, I may be um, only slightly more, more optimistic than you are. <laughs> uh, we lived through that for sure. I mean, uh, I had a, again, see a sign or whatever. So I you talked to a voter at one point, left a, a flyer on her door and it was, it was early and we weren't sure what, people would be comfortable with when we were knocking on doors in the primary. And so we always had masks available or, you know, somebody came to the door with a mask, we'd put one on and, and uh, she didn't answer her door. And I left a note and I, she was in my neighborhood. So I left my phone number on it and she sent me a, a relatively aggressive text about, you know, if you believe in this, then you're this thing. And I said, can I call you? And, you know, can I talk to you? And I, I had a conversation with her. I, I don't think for a second she voted for me, but I had a conversation with her about, you know, I recognize the the risk calculations that everybody's taking. And, you know, I don't know your family and, and you don't know mine. And I have specific things that, you know, decisions that we're making as a family. But I don't believe you're a monster because you believe something different than me. And I hope you can hear me out. Um, do I think that she then went back into her house and watched whatever news she was watching and that didn't do any good? I don't know. Maybe it did a little bit. But the default was certainly to... Uh, buy into that narrative. And, and it is a very local, aggressive, uh, you know, our meetings are still difficult. And I've been vocal. I think I've been polite, but I've been vocal about my perspective on that as a parent at this point. And, I, you know, I, I think I just don't see another solution. I guess that's the challenge. I don't see another solution outside of us talking to our neighbors and uh, our, our family and the people who we know. And even when we disagree with them, we we can respect and care for. Um, so I'm, I am very locally somewhat optimistic <laughs> about that, <laughs> if that's a fair way to put it. Well, and I suppose the, uh, uh, 
the question that you you don't have to answer now, but uh, had you won, would you have voted for a mask mandate in uh, in your school district? So yeah, we uh, I can answer that question because I've written about it everywhere that there is, and anybody who Google's our race, if they do that, <laughs> will see it. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, our district is in the middle of a couple of different lawsuits right now over oh. masking, and and I would have you know I think when you're thinking about a system. So the answer is yes. At this point, our cases have been very high um, and the public health advice here is to mask indoors in our schools. And it is our local school board's decision to make. But uh, I care a whole lot about in-person instruction. I think that was, to me, the most important thing. And um, as a teacher who taught virtually and there's just not my experience was that there was not a whole lot of learning virtually. And if uh, for the moment you know, mask requirements allow kids to be in school and more kids to be safe and not quarantined and things like that. I would have voted for it at this moment. And we had a position that we would, um, the, the county advice was while we were in high or substantial spread that we should mask and while we were in moderate or low spread that we shouldn't. And, um, you know, I felt like and on, I've never had any epidemiology, I can't even say the word, I've never had any training in public health and uh, so to me, to, to listen to that advice would have been the wise thing to do, but also to give people some clarity around what the decision was being based on and, and what the on-ramp and the off-ramp for that were. Because, again, the frustration is, you know, are you going to mask forever? Are you going to, you know, what is the decision being made based on? So, yes, is the simple answer, but with a lot of nuance to it. I think, again, that's, a, that's a, an issue that does have some nuance in the national dialogue is you hate science if you don't wear a mask or you, you know, hate your neighbor if you don't or you're hiding someone who's in the image of God or like kids can't learn what all of those things are stirring around. And it's a much more nuanced answer than, you know, just yes, no. Um, it's, it's something that's important to a lot of people. You missed uh, getting us ready for Sharia law. <laughs> right. There's I mean, it's, it's difficult. I think I think that's all a result of or mostly a result of opportunistic politicians, opportunistic news and media organizations and social media. And and instead, it's to me, it was like, what do we really want here? We want our kids to be in school. Any of us who sat with our kids for months and months and months on remote learning and, and recognized that most of our kids just thrive so much better in, in an in-person setting. And and at the same time, I don't see it as a, <laughs> as a slippery slope at all. And uh, I, I I saw it very you know clearly at the the time we were running the campaign and but it was a hard issue to to talk through with people. People have their have very strong beliefs on it. They care about their kids and other people's kids, and then they watch the news and it all kind of stirs around. And it's uh it was it was not easy. Those conversations had some some tough moments in them. Sure. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're. I mean, everyone's dealing with that, and I'm I'm sure every state is in some kind of lawsuit over that at this point. Uh, uh, in Missouri, the state, the governor and the state board of education both said local government, local school boards can do what they want. Like uh, they can, they can make their own choices, uh, which I think is about the best answer you can give at that level. And that way, if there's a spike in your community, you can choose to mask. And if there isn't, you can, you can not or, or whatever. Uh, and then our attorney general is running for Senate. So he filed a bunch of lawsuits. So that's, that's where we're at. It's a little uh, like Greg Abbott. I wake up in the morning and I sue the federal government sort of vibe to it. And yeah, I, you know, yeah. We were grappling with that as a as an elder session. I mean, how how do you 
you know, what do you, what do you do to keep people safe, to keep people coming to worship in person who are comfortable? How do you, how do you sing and preach and all those sorts of things to, to be able to have the worship experience that uh, we all deeply love? And so, <laughs> you know, every facet of, of my life for months at a time had been trying to make decisions that are really, they're, they're difficult. I mean, they're tough decisions. And I agree with you, the local uh, the ability to make that decision locally just makes a whole lot of sense. Well, John, I think we're uh, we're at the end of our outline, or pretty close to our our outline. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring on? A shorter episode today, but uh, uh, it's a complex issue, and we could have gone on on any of those topics. Uh, anything else you want our listeners to know about running for office, running for local school board, uh, or being a Christian while you're doing that? Well, I think we solved polarization, so we could check yeah, that there we off, go. probably. Um, I found it to be just largely a good experience. I think it was like a lot of other, uh, I don't know, facets of life where we, we talk to our kids a lot about, you know, if you look for all the red things in the room, you're only going to see red things and there are always blue things in the room too. So it's very easy to get caught up in one difficult conversation or, uh, you know, one thing that you say or a position that you have that isn't popular or whatever. And then, and then, extend that out to, um, you know, to encompass everybody that you're talking to. And really, I think if you could step back and, and focus on the quality conversations that you have, I would say for anybody who's involved in, who cares about politics, I guess, and anybody who, um, you know, follows politics to double down on the local elections. Uh, that's my pitch. And I don't know if I could sell that to everybody. It's, um, you know, but I, I left the cycle thinking, I care a lot about the 2023 school board election and the 2025 school board election. And, um, and I, I just, I just think that those decisions that you make locally and those things that you care about, you can actually have an impact on, on locally where it's, it's just otherwise, uh, it just can become toxic in a lot of ways and not just, uh, for you personally, but for, for me, if, if I, learned one thing from all the time I spent away from our kids when I was knocking on doors and everything else. It was that at least at that point, I felt like I was doing something that would be helpful to them and hopefully helpful to our community. And um, so I would just encourage anybody who's engaged in, you know, following midterms that there are other elections that happen that, that matter a lot. And, and if you care a lot and there, there are uh, races that you can run in for very, little dollar amounts and races you can run in that uh, make a big impact. So, uh, and if not, you know, get involved in, in your school board in a way that's productive. Um, we've seen enough unproductive stuff swirling around school boards too, but, um, you know, I, I just, to me, um, I would like to spend my time uh, making decisions and influencing in the spheres where I'm called to do that um, rather than, you know, doubling down on uh, places and policies and issues that I don't impact, you know, that I can't do anything about besides, you know, yelling at people who disagree with me or more likely just, you know, confirming the biases of people who already do agree with me. Uh, so that that's my pitch. Um, get involved in local races, go talk to your neighbors, and I think you'll find out that it's generally a positive experience, even with some really difficult <laughs> environments to, to run in and to volunteer in. 
Well, that's a good place to end. John, thanks for taking time to come on the show. Yeah, I'm glad glad to be able to have a conversation with you. And, uh, appreciate your time, too. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the City of Man podcast. The City of Man is part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Please check out the other podcasts in our family and get more information about this show or our show notes by visiting christianhumanist.org. Please also leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find our show, like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash cityofmanpodcast, or get in touch with us at cityofmanpodcast at gmail.com. This is Coyle Neal reminding you to render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's and render unto God those things that are God's. This land is your land and this land is my land from the California to the New York Island and the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me as I went a-walking that ribbon of high